Paul Mackay works out of his corporate headquarters in Amsterdam and is speaking with us today about media management. Now, that might sound like something that's not important, but those little teeny tiny files that travel across the globe to the other person working with your project are very, very important. There is an application out there called Hedge that I've been using for many years, and I wanted to update you guys because a short while ago, they announced some additional features of the app that I think you're going to find are pretty amazing. So we're going to talk with Paul Matai in just a moment. Thank you for listening. Stand by. This is going to be fun. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. Paul, welcome to OWC Radio. It's so nice to have you here today. We have a lot to talk about. Thanks. Where are you? I'm in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And I was looking at some images of Amsterdam the other day. The canals are all frozen up and people are ice skating on the canals. It brings back memories of when I was a kid. It sounds just wonderful. Yeah, well, there was sort of a relief that everybody really needed. So it was the first time in 20 years that we could actually do outdoor skating, ice skating. So then the whole country goes mad. There's so much water over here and it all freezes up. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Just what you needed. The lockdown is the second or third or fourth. I stopped counting. Yeah, I think it's in general what it is in Europe and in the US too. It's not a good situation at all. But we're coping. And I think uh, the mental strain will uh, prove to be uh, an issue over the coming years. Try to relax when we can, while at the same time sort of having a normal life. You know, one thing I'm curious about now that you mentioned being at home, because I'm now working from a studio that I put into my house. And even though I have one gig service, the internet is not as reliable as it used to be because there's so many people on it. Do you have those problems in Holland as well? Well, yeah, we do. We've seen some scaling issues with internet providers. That said, we are a super tiny country with super good facilities and infrastructure. I'm on fiber myself, which is, well, still an exception though, but most people have great DSL or cable internet. So it hasn't been much of an issue, not as much as with others, I'd say. We're lucky in that regard. I think we're also lucky that we work in the tech world and we can work from home. A lot of people can't do that right now, you know, so I just feel really blessed. Paul, for people who don't know, what is Hedge? Hedge the company or Hedge the app? Actually both. Both. Well, Hedge is a company that consists mainly of people working in the film industry and wanted to build software for others in the film industry that's easy to use and takes some strain off the work and freeing up more time for creative work, I'd say. That all started with our flagship app Hedge, which is aimed to make on-set and in the studio data management super simple. At the time when we started building, I think I started this for documentary about 10 years ago already. It was kind of normal to do just one backup and then maybe create a backup of that backup later on in the studio. We wanted to change that paradigm and make it really easy to just create three backups in one go. And that's what we did. And then since then, we just added features while keeping it really simple in our goal. I think I was telling you before we started that I've been using Hedge since you very first, it was just born. (laughs) And it has just saved my life on so many occasions. And it is simple. I mean, I, I can see the screen in front of me and all my hard drives in the middle and I just drag them around and I find my project folders and I can make several copies at once. And, and, you know, when you're in a hurry and you want to make sure you're covering yourself, 
that's pretty amazing. But Hedge has really grown. The app has really grown over the years. And there's some new features that I think you just announced last December. Do you want to talk about some of those? I mean, I don't even know where to start. There's so much going on with this app now. I mean, it's pretty amazing. The one thing that I have a question about is sorting during transfer. Explain that to me, because if things are transferring and you're able to sort, aren't you going to mess up the transfer? That's the first thing that came to mind when I saw that. How does that work? We started out as copying hard drives to other hard drives as is. And when people started asking for, can we just create a folder? Like, I only want to copy this folder to that folder. And then we added that. And then people started asking for filters. Like, I just want to copy these file types. And you start catering for the same people in the roles. So they're still the same users. They're still the data managers, the ITs, but also the producers, directors even on documentaries. And they just like to want to use it in different capacities. So you start, well, listing requests and adding what they need in the different roles that they have across the whole industry. And then at some point you run into that those people want to reorganize all the backups they already have into file type, for instance. And that's when sorting came around and we said, well, we can already filter on a file. What if we don't filter per file type per transfer, but we filter it per file? It's a lot more processing that is going on, but we can calculate the folder paths and all everything else that's required to decide where a file is being copied to. And if you do that on a per file basis, then you actually have sorting because that's what you're doing. And then the goal here, like it's not easy to build and not easy to build it robust and feel safe, but the hardest part is to present it in a way that's super easy and to use and really hard to screw up. (laughs) Thank you. Issue is always human error. On set, you have so much going on. There's so much stuff you need to do, especially data management is quite error prone. So if we can take out that error rate, if we can take that down, then we should, we feel. We only want to add features that really brings down that saving your ass down the line. You don't want to run in a backup a few later and not being able to locate a file because the software plays it somewhere because you decided to sort it in some kind of way. I always worry when I'm working with a new DIT because media management, you know, once you've shot some of this stuff, you can't go back and do it again. A lot of times, you know, you're done, especially like with a lot of the documentary or reality stuff, you get one shot and you're in and out. So I think the the interface is very, very easy to use and easy to understand. And that's one of the things that I noticed about it right from the beginning. So I think the sorting is going to be great. So you can choose now certain portions of the media. In other words, if I just want audio or if I want just this video or if I want this type of file, you can also do that. Copy only this. You need to do so much stuff at the same time that we decided, well, we need to get presets going for people, not just on a camera basis, but on a file type basis on whatever you need. But we need to present a release. The issue with presets is that there are so many cross sections possible. You can easily run into a a preset of a preset of a preset. And we wanted to prevent that kind of hell because you never know where it's going to end up if you do that. So we really wanted to have a simple one-dimensional way of doing a preset. And yeah, that leads to simple filters like I can copy or I can't copy. I just want to copy this. I just want to copy folders. I just want to copy files. And the same goes for bundles, for instance. Some users are moving 
media with Hedge one day, but the other day they're moving Funko Pro libraries. On one day, you definitely don't want to have app bundles. We have this customer who's shooting a lot with Sony. They don't care about the color science. So they just want to have the MP4s or the MXFs, whatever. It depends on what they're shooting. But they don't want to have that AVCHD folder, which is a bundle. And it's an empty bundle for most of the two. So that's why we built in that feature, basically just for that workflow. But it's applicable on so much more. You can set it up to ignore Final Pro bundles or apps. What if you're copying your Mac system drive, but you just want to move the media that's on there, buried somewhere. That's what you can do with copy only, ignore bundles that way. So there's a lot of ways to combine the filters, but in the end, it's just one preset. And that we hope helps people to find the back into the copies they made. I love the bundles option because a lot of times when you're in the field and you're in a hurry, I'm thinking about this one show I was doing for National Geographic and I'm shooting and we're chasing lightning. <laughs> I've got a B camera driving and I'm in the seat next to him and I've got my laptop and I'm managing the cards. This is before Hedge. It's really scary because if you mess something up, and you don't have enough cards on set with you and you have to reuse a card, oh my gosh, what would happen, right? So talk to me about checksum and duplicates. First of all, I'd say renting a few more cards is always going to be cheaper than hunting down an error. Always. So just get more cards. It's worth it, really. They're cheap to rent. Well, for instance, with Netflix, you've got to keep your cards around. On some productions, it's just compulsory. But if you can't, we try to keep things simple, but when it came to copy engines, in the end, we ended up with a whole bunch of different copy engines that handle media in different ways. Depends on how many destinations you have. If it's a network drive, a local drive, if it's LTO, it really depends the method you want to use to copy with. But let's say you have a super simple setup with a source card and two hard drives. All that matters is defining when am I going to erase this source card? And the second you decide I need to reuse this card, then even if you have two backups, from that moment on, you don't have two backups. Then one is the new source and one is a backup. Well, you're locking out if you don't run into an issue. So always create the third backup if you're gonna erase the source. And then it depends on the workflow that you have. For instance, Hedge can do various types of backups. We can, what we call backups versus archive. If we were to do a production together and I was getting one of those backups and you were getting one of them and we would need to work independently on that, then it would make sense to consider those archives as the sole copy of the media that exists. And that has to be completely checksummed throughout and completely cross-verified. For instance, we have productions that make six copies because they need to distribute across different editors at the same time and are keeping the source around. They don't need to do all those checksums because they know they can always get back into the original camera card. That's when you do a backup. So we think there's quite a distinction between doing a backup and an archive. And it really depends on the level of checksumming that you want to use based on that scenario. What I normally do is I make an archive copy immediately as soon as I can. And then I never, ever, ever touch it. That stays in the archive. And then I make worker copies that we can work off of. And you're absolutely right, Paul. Don't erase those cards unless you have to, because I know I was in the middle of delivering a show. Not in the middle. We were at the end. And the raid that we were using crashed. And it was irrecoverable. I had to send it back to GTEC. And they were amazing. They handled it, but it took a couple of days to get it back. We didn't have that time. So I had to take all the original media 
and just relink everything to the projects, to the library. So that's it's something we see a lot with workflows that people think that Rake will fix their backup. So what they do is they get a source, they copy that with verification to a rate, and then they're done. And then maybe they create one worker copy off of it, but that's it. But at that point, the second you do that, the rate becomes the new source. It's sort of relayed source. If the rate controller dies, you have nothing, only nothing. So don't just consider a rate a backup or an archive. Don't just create multiple copies. It's much cheaper. To, and it does make sense to offload that source super fast, of course, if you need to reuse the card. But don't erase the card before you created multiple copies. Protect, protect, protect. Talk to me about duplicate detection, because I always worry about it. I know Hedge is really liable, but it's kind of scary. So how do I know that when Hedge tells me, oh, you've already downloaded this, we don't need to do it again, which it does, which I love. How do I know that I haven't made one teeny tiny small change and it's really not a duplicate, but somebody just didn't rename it as a new version that comes through the checksum? activity or how does that work on the back end? Of course, file name is the first responder here. So if the file name is the same, then the second thing that comes up is file size. And the file has really to be identical down to the bytes. If it will, there still could have been a modification. So we check for the creation date and the modification date too. And if all those four match, we consider it a, a duplicate. There is software out there that also uses, that's really a brute force method and doesn't really apply use case we think because that's more something you would do when going to tape or when you're using object storage for instance when there's a lot of compute going on but with those four discriminators hedge says well we already have the file but what is more important if one of those is different is that hedge copies it but it keeps the original we never delete a file and i think that's in the end yes it is of some file space but it does save you and we do the same thing on lto for instance we always keep your history like a snapshot. So you can always roll back into that previous version. A bit like Postlab does for Final Pro and Premiere Pro. I know several people have said, what do you need those sidecar files? But I like looking at the, maybe I'm a little bit OCD, but I like looking at the details of the log and exactly what came in and where there may have been a problem. You know, even when Hedge says it's great, all done, I always just kind of peek in the log anyway. Just to make sure, I've never had a problem when it was a conflict. So I have to tell you, it always works. It has always worked. But it's nice to have that log file also, don't you think, because down the road, you might want to look in that log file and it's searchable, right? Is it searchable? It is, yeah. When you're dealing with multiple people on a project, things get screwed up. That's just human error. It's human error. You have somebody that's handling media that forgets to rename a file, or maybe they put it in the wrong place, or I'm talking about these larger projects that can get pretty complicated. So I do like the logs. You need them down the line in the end. At some point, it's going to go wrong and you need to be able to fall back on that. And that's why people create camera reports, for instance, with Fuka 2 for that check. Still, yeah, stuff will happen. Stuff will go wrong at some point. It rarely happens, I must say. And that's a good thing. There's been quite a commoditization of the hardware, too. When this whole industry started, say, 15 years ago with Shopper Pro, the OSs weren't that good. The hardware definitely wasn't good. Hard disks were sort of given up the second they left the store. Nowadays, a hard drive, if you look at Backblaze's hard drives reports, a hard drive lasts eight years easily. 
that's performance we've never seen in the past. So errors won't happen that often anymore. It's down the line. It's like discovering when did an error happen. And that's something, for instance, Netflix is currently pushing together with the ASC. It's for a new standard of those sidecars called the ASC MHL, which will give you a report for what happened. But it also keeps in mind what happens afterwards. So you have a sort of ledger going back into history. So you can actually find out when something went wrong and then make sure it doesn't happen again at that stage. The industry is really moving forward into creating that ledger. We're getting organized. Tell me again what that's called, what Netflix is calling it. The ASC MHL. It's a version two of the media hash list. And ASC is put together a work group to lead that. Yeah, I always make sure if I'm moving locations, I always bring that sidecar with me, with the media, lives with the media, no matter where the media ends up. That's really important. I'm saying this to all the people who might be listening who don't think it's important. They see that tiny little log file and they go, oh, I don't need that. And, you know, they might not keep it. Well, there's always a local copy on your computer. But yeah, then the computer gets stolen or it's wiped at some point. So so how did you get involved in all this? We were working on a successor for MHL2 that like just a log file it's just a list and you need to dig into it. And that isn't really like how you're used to consume media. You're used to a finder. That's how you search. And we always try it hatch. We now have s- such different products within the lineup, like Fulcat and Canister for LTO. So we try out new technologies in other first often. And with Catalog, that's an example of such a technology for LTO, the need to know what's on a tape bigger than with hatch, what's on a disk. Because the tape takes ages to load and it's hard to dig into. So we build a sort of technology representation as a catalog, but that lives in Finder. And so Spotlight can use it to search. And we're still working on something that a shared catalog that you can share with other users or send to them that they can just mount on their systems as if they have that disk at their desk. And so I think we'll see more improvements in the industry there in the coming years, because that's the next thing is discoverability. Where is that file? Yeah, someone needs to find it. Yeah, I kill NeoFinder. Every time I try to use NeoFinder to give me an index of what I have, it dies. It can't handle all the files. NeoFinder is <laughs> great. If NeoFinder breaks... It is. Well, there's 250 terabytes in this small room I'm in on different projects. And, you know, so you try to get NeoFinder to tell you what drive something is on. You know, client approached us and they wanted something that we had shot almost 20 years ago. So... You know, how do you find it? You have to go to your old library system for that. But I think you're mentioning LTO. I think LTO is going to become more and more important. For a while there, we were avoiding it. But I think with all of this media that's piling up, don't you think that might be one of our best solutions in terms of archiving? Or do you have another suggestion for us? No, I think it's definitely the cheapest. The entry point is steep if you want a new drive, but they're fast problem of LTO used to be speed. It used to be really slow, but it's much faster than a regular hard disk nowadays for the disk. And the machine itself is really expensive, but second-hand market is good. So let's say you have a few terabyte of media coming in each month that you need to archive. Just get an older generation of LTO. The tapes are cheap for the older generations. And you'll thank yourself for it because it's so much better than just to have an LTO than just to push everything to the cloud, which would be the alternative. I'm definitely not advocating against the cloud because I think the cloud is a great way to store media. But if you're going to touch it within two or three years and when you do, 
it's fine to search for it for a day to take the load, for instance. If you need a turnaround time for 24 hours, tape is fine, really. And retrieving something from LTO definitely does day, but it takes you time to dig up the tape, put it in a machine, find the file, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But with the cloud, that will happen in the end too. You still have a huge pile of data that you need to sift through, which you're paying for each month. So if you need stuff within a year, put it in the cloud. If you need stuff stored longer than a year, put it on LTO. Yeah, everybody's talking about cloud, 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 but I think it's fine for some things, but not for everything. And I actually noticed the other day that I had some stuff up on my Apple cloud. The cloud uploaded original WAV files from one of my projects. When I went to download them, they were coming in as M4As. So they were changed. They're changing them. So I don't know what happened up in the cloud. I have to call and find out what was going on there. Luckily, I have another copy. But that's the kind of thing when you relinquish ownership, temporary, even if temporary, to some of your media, that's really important. You don't know what's going to happen to it on the other end. And that sounds like a consumer cloud. There are, of course, legions of professional clouds there. And they are only that bit more expensive. We have with PostLab Drive, we have Cloud Product 2. And that's super hot storage. We don't have an archive there, there yet. There are definitely reasons to use that and definitely reasons not to use that. It really depends on your bandwidth and it depends on your cost structure. And then it's not that one thing is per se better than the other. It changes per project, I'd say, right now. Decide on a per project basis what will work. And don't stick to, I've always done this, so this is going to be the way I'm going to keep doing this. Because technology is changing too fast for that. That's good advice. That's absolutely good advice. And I think if people approach the change as an adventure and they just go with it and learn how to use it the best they can for their projects, I think they'll be happy. Talk to me about PostLab because I'm such a fangirl. It is going to solve in such a huge way for us the problem that we have working remote collaboration with editors all around the world. So can you talk about how Hedge and PostLab got married and why? Well, when we started with Hedge, we wanted to, well, all the silly work from the equation and create room for creativity. At the time, we built this sort of overview of the industry where we said, well, we think it's going to go here. Once we solve backups, then the next part is to save dailies. Well, there are a lot of people solving the dailies problem out there already, but nobody is really solving the issue of working together with your team, working with your clients. Framio nails it for instance, but working with your team, just on what is important to your team, nobody does that. And then we ran into Jasper, who is the inventor of PostLab, and he built PostLab for a Dutch broadcaster. And at the time that broadcast for Final Cut Pro to Avid, so it got shelved. And seeing his philosophy on how to develop software, really zoning in on what you need to work and no effort around, really resonated with what we did. So we adopted him and we said, if Hedge is one part of the chain, let PostLab be the other part of the chain. It's vendor agnostic, so anything in between, you can use whatever you want. You don't have to use Hedge, you don't have to use PostLab, but let's the, let the industry be vendor agnostic. And only when you need to solve a certain issue, like you might be an editor that's always working alone in that project, you need to scale up to five editors. Then you drop into PostLab. And when, well, you could stick there if you're on your own, because it also helps you when you're just a sole editor. But you can also just drop out again and return to your regular workflow. So you shouldn't into a workflow because you decided to pay more one day. Are there any other new features that we didn't talk about that you want might want to talk about? Well, for PostLab, what 
is interesting. PostLab started out as a Final Cut Pro app because the lack of collaboration was the largest in Final Cut Pro. Then a lot of people asked us, can you do the same for Premiere? Because we don't want to use Steam projects. We want to use something that's simpler. That's when we did that. And then a lot of avid editors came to us saying, we already have good collaboration. We just don't have bin locking remote. Can you fix that? And that's something we fixed. So that's something we're going to launch next month. And it sits on top of Drive. It turns Drive into a Nexus. So you can put your avid projects on PostLab Drive. And then it just functions as if you're in the office running off of a Nexus. I think that really should help commoditizing Avid into a remote team workflow. Because now, until now, that has been really tied into working in an office together with other editors at the same time. The world is changing, isn't it? Fast. I miss that feeling of going downstairs and seeing 10 editors working on something, you know, and everybody's huddled over. And then you go upstairs and people are getting dressed to go out and into the field to shoot something really remote and interesting, or I don't know, I miss that. But I think that with what you have and what PostLab has, you're helping us survive in these times. And I really, really appreciate that. So what do you think is next for you guys? You're working on solving that AVID problem. What do you think it's going to be next? Anything you can talk about today? Well, Resolve, obviously. PostLab, we want to make the hub to work with editors, but not just editors. We want to bring in sound mixers too dubbing, re-recording. So we're definitely going into the DAW space too. Pro Tools, Logic, Motion, After Effects. So everyone that's on your team should be able to work together in PostLab. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to work in the same project. It could be that you have Final Cut Pro team and then one Adobe After Effects artist in there. We feel everybody's working remote. It's hard to get that knit feeling of working together on the same project. And then we, well, we hope by bringing the whole team onto PostLab that will help. Now, it just occurred to me that some people listening might not know what PostLab is. Can you explain this to them? Just give us a little overview of what it does. PostLab is like project management, but for your NLE. So it observes what you do in your NLE. It saves your work. It saves versions. You have an automatic history. It tells you who's working on something so you don't accidentally go into the same file and create a conflict. There is task management in there, status management. So it's, it's all built to make it easy to work together on your NLE projects at the same time. So you can have an editor in Holland and an editor in San Diego, <laughs> and you're working with the same media. And that's wonderful. I'm actually very, very excited about it. I think it's going to make life a lot easier for me, I know, and for a lot of other people. How did you get started in the tech world, Paul? You're just so bright. I mean, I remember talking to you at um, the Creative Summit a couple of years ago when we were all in Cupertino. Remember that big fire that was happening back then? It was terrible. We couldn't even walk down the street without wearing a mask, practically. But uh, I remember thinking at the time, you're one of the smart ones. So how did all that start? I think it's just experience over the years. I started out as a stagehand in the local venue. And then I thought, well, oh, that's interesting with all these cables and stuff. And then I got into sound and then I became a touring sound engineer. And then uh, I got into mastering because that sounded interesting too. And then at the time, there wasn't much work in the live music industry in winter because bands weren't touring back then in winter. And I still needed to eat. So I got into broadcast sound. 
And that led to being asked uh, the harder broadcast productions that all needed sound reinforcements. And then one thing led to another. And then I had an easy job on the sound department. Me on to helping someone out that was super busy with data handling because we were doing 15 5D shoot, 15 camera shoot. Yeah, that was quite a bit. Well, the guy that was doing that was super busy <laughs> swapping cars all day. And I didn't have much to do, so I just helped him out. And I really liked that vibe of people working together on the set. And then we started helping out with some automation, and that became an Apple script. And the next season it became a larger Apple script. Then you have Hatch a few years in. And that was 15 years in a nutshell. Unbelievable. So, Paul, as a five year old, what did you like to do? Like, if I asked your mom and dad, what did Paul? What did Paul do when he was five and six years old? What did he like to do? What would you say? Yeah, Legos. Did you guys have the Meccano sets? I remember in France, we had Meccano. It's like Legos, but I used to love to build motors with them. I remember my brother got one for Christmas and he didn't want it. So I took it and I was building Ferris wheels. Yeah, with all the steel bits. <laughs> I have one Ferris wheel, actually. Yeah, I did. Yeah, but I definitely prefer space Lego. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's awesome. So... You're staying healthy, obviously, and I'm glad everything is going well. You're working hard, doing great things for us. I'm grateful for that. Where do people go to find out more about Hedge and your apps and PostLab and all of that? Where do they? Where do we send them? Just go to Hedge.video, and then you'll see Hedge and Canister and PostLab and Drive. There's a blog with a lot of background information. Any questions you have, just email us at hello at Hedge.video. We're always happy to help out or hop on a call. And that's true, you guys listening in. That's really true because years ago I had a problem. I think I was on a deadline. I don't remember what it was, but I emailed in a panic. You know how you do when you're trying to deliver something. Oh, my goodness. This is not happening and I need it. And Paul, you answered me yourself. You got on an email and you were very helpful and we got it solved and got me back on track. So. Thank you for everything you've done. We know you don't run into an issue until it's too late. So there is stress involved and you need to get it sort of ASAP. And then, well, I think as a vendor, we should be able to help you out if we can. So that's why if we can help you out right away, we should. So we have a large team on that on purpose. It's just as large as the software development department. And we're still a tiny company, I'd say. We're, well, we're 15 people now. So yeah, customer support is one of the most important things we do daily. I'm grateful for it. And Hedge is part of my daily workflow. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for taking the time to do this. I know you're many hours ahead of us. I'm in San Diego and you are in the Netherlands right now. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Stay happy. And we'll bring you back on again. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, remember what I always say, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today, even if it's in your own home. This is Serena Catania. He's Paul Matais. We're talking about Hedge and PostLav, and I am signing off. You guys have a good day. Thank you.